Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. Hello and welcome to this week's Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I have Sarah from East Sussex who has been sober for just over a year actually, um, one year and 25 days. <laughs> I always love it, we always have the uh, the counting apps don't we so we know with accuracy yeah. <laughs> how many days sober. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for joining me Sarah and taking time out of your day to share your story. Thank you for having me. That's absolute pleasure. Um, so <laughs> let's get to know who you are a little bit before we dive into your story. Who is Sarah? So I'm a mum of two. Um, I live in East Sussex, like we said, in a little village. Uh, moved out of London about, uh, well, it had been about eight years ago now when I had my second child. And I think that move to the country meant for me, I gave up my career. I used to work in TV and um it was too difficult to get back to London so I've kind of adopted the country life now um and you know we have a big garden and we have a lovely country life here and um yeah and I'm 45 years old um my husband's a bit younger which always grates a little bit but um but no very happy living in East Sussex (laughs) I love that. There's similarities there because I'm 45 this Christmas and my husband is younger than me. But actually, it's something I feel really proud of. (laughs) Is it? Good for you. I think it's when, um, I think it was the annoying bit was when I reached the 40 mark and he was still under 40. Yeah. That that got on my nerves a little bit when he was still like, oh, well, you're 40. Yeah. but yes, we should be proud. We should be proud of this. We should, that we yeah. have younger men. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I, I often think about how I'm going to feel when I turn 50. I'm not even <laughs> sure if he will even be in his 40s even then. Maybe he will. <laughs> I may sound really young. But yeah, no, that fills me with mild anxiety. But yeah. Um, my favourite was when my husband <clears throat> got mistaken for my dad. So ever since then... I felt very proud to be. Oh, his so he's younger wife. than you, but he looks older he's, than you. Yeah, there was one day when he wore a very odd mismatching. Uh, he shouldn't have worn the hats, the cap, and the glasses and the coat, and he was growing a moustache for November. And I think the combination made my workout instructor mistake him for my father. But I haven't wow. let him forget that. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's that's a uh, that's a strong look. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a, it was a combo. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. So, um, so let's just get straight in there. Describe your life with alcohol. It was, I'd say crazy was, was, was my life with alcohol. Um, I loved it. I loved it, but I think, um, I was always a party girl. I was always a binge drinker. Like a lot of us, we grew up in that culture. Um, and you know, that's what we did. We found it hilarious. The more the, the, the more stupid the things we did, um, the funnier it was to laugh at the next day. I mean, that's how we fitted in, you know, culturally with our friends. Um, and I think it was only uh, when I was still doing that, <laughs> um, 
up into my 30s that I realized, ah, not everybody's still still doing that. Um, but yeah, I was always a big girl. Um, I wasn't a big home drinker, but that changed over time. It used to be about going out. But I think um, once you start having children and you can't go out as much, the dynamic changes, you're drinking on your own a bit more. Mm. Um, so I wasn't an everyday day drinker but I think my problem areas were that the binge drinking still went wrong even as I you know was growing up um and that the reliance on the alcohol at home I think changed that relationship changed it became a bit more of an emotional support yeah um so yeah I think I think for me there came a point where you know realized that perhaps it wasn't a normal relationship with alcohol anymore yeah, that's interesting. What, um, how, when do you think that started to happen for you then? So obviously in your thirties, um, I think you said, uh, you had TV, you had a career in TV and obviously mm. you were in that kind of London lifestyle probably with mm. the TV, um, career and then moved to the country. And then, like you say, uh, the binge drinking still creates some problems, doesn't it? Unfortunately, we can change our environment and our surroundings, but mm. fundamentally we can still drink too much, even if we're at home and the kids are upstairs in bed. Um, what did that sort of, yeah, what did that kind of period leading up to getting to the point where you wanted to stop? How did how did that look? Mm. Were you noticing anxiety? And yeah, what was that like? Yeah, I think I, think I was. I think I realised how emotionally embedded alcohol was in my day-to-day and I think you touched on where it really it it very very started you know even though it was only on a on a much um lesser level but you know moving out of London and moving to the country suddenly being at home with not one but two children my first daughter was in full-time nursery and suddenly I was at home with both the children my husband was in London I didn't know anyone I um, you know, resigned from my job. So that was my identity, your career. Mm-hmm. My career was my identity. And it was suddenly quite lonely. And actually alcohol became, it became the outlet, really. It became my, you know, what I'd look forward to. And even though that, you know, I remember when my uh, youngest was, was a baby, I would have half a bottle every night and I would look forward to that even when I was, you know, breastfeeding. I, I needed a, a, a glass of wine to look forward to. And I think even though it was only, in early stages there, I think it, and I think it really came to a head in, in lockdown. I think a lot of us felt that because we were really, we weren't rushing as much. You were really aware of how much for emotional reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I mean, I used to emotional eat a lot and I, I got through, you know, that eating disorder. So I think I felt like actually it just transferred and that actually I was using alcohol. It was a way to release stress. It was a boredom buster. It was a way to, um, you know, get just n- niggle out anything. Or sometimes I just felt like, oh, I was going to burst unless I just had a bit of a an explosion. And I think your life isn't as challenging or as interesting as it was before uh, mm-hmm. when you had a busy job in London and you were rushing around. Suddenly your life is much more... I mean, it's lovely in moments, but it's much smaller. It's much more mundane. And mm. you're still looking for the buzz and the excitement. And sadly, it's not in drinking half a bottle of wine on your own, but that's what it felt like at the time. Um, so, yeah, I think the emotional reliance was was building from 
when I moved out of London and I think it crescendoed in in lockdown um and then I think the other area which was always a problem for me with the binge drinking and the blackouts Mm. um I remember there was one party that we had uh last the beginning of last summer where you know a friend was having like an, an end of lockdown party and um you know I can't remember from nine o'clock um and I remember having to go to the school gates you know gosh I'm in my 40s now going to the school gates and everyone going oh you couldn't stand up you know dear oh, you were right after the other night and you think god how am I still doing this it's excruciatingly yeah. embarrassing everyone else thinks it's funny it's not because no one else is doing it Um, and it was realizing that no matter how much I thought I'd matured and I could handle it and I'll only stick to this drink and I'll only, I'll make sure I've eaten. I'm still sometimes not in control of the fact I will have a blackout. Mm. I still can't control it. It's not every time, Mm. but it's still happening. And do I, I just don't want this anymore. I just don't want this, um, excruciating embarrassment, the shame, the guilt. Mm. I was just done with it. I was like, if I can't, absolutely 100% guarantee this isn't going to happen I don't want to go there in the first place um so that for me was I mean obviously I've had plenty of blackouts but that I think that was a catalyst of that came from nowhere I really thought I had it sorted I mean my husband and I used to talk about oh you're so much better Mm. you know you didn't have to take me home last night well done you know well done me and actually you're not better the same things the same patterns are still happening yeah, that I, I I really connect with that um, last statement actually because I remember telling myself as well that I'm doing really well at the moment. You know, I'm managing my drinking like pretty well, aren't I, Tom, my husband? And you know, and I remember like that. There's so much denial wrapped up in yeah. that, and I, you know, I always felt like I was playing roulette with my life when Mm. I drank I was living on a knife edge you know would next time be the time where it all goes to shit and something really Mm. bad really Mm. life-changing happens um Mm. I I didn't I couldn't trust myself enough to avoid that you know Mm. really big rock rock bottom type thing like getting in my car drunk and crashing or doing something stupid Mm. um so yeah that I, I remember that was exactly why I stopped. I, I'd convinced myself that I was kind of all right. I was managing to just have a bottle of wine when I drank and not going too far, you know, which to me now is madness because a bottle is a lot. Yeah. Um, but I went out a girly night out and I drank to excess very quickly. Um, mm. I forgot all my own rules. I, I was in a blackout at tea time and I don't remember most of the evening and um that really shocked me when I woke up I thought but I thought I had a grip on this I thought I had had it sorted yeah and I think that was just like for me it was the thing that just sort of tipped me over the edge and I think that's when I just accepted you are never going to have a grip on this and the amount of time that you spend thinking about that like in your head the amount of time you're thinking okay I can do it you're not thinking about the people you're talking to about the the party about what you're you know about what you're excited about you're, there's no genuine excitement about the experience the whole thing is okay should I have another drink now okay I'll slow it down I'll make sure I've eaten some food and then the next day you're wow wasn't I really good I didn't actually drink too yeah. much I did I made sure I ate I did really well didn't yeah. I yeah it's so much 
mind. That's why I, you know, was pleased to get out of eating problems because I was spending all the time thinking about diets and it became the same for me. It became as consuming Mm. in my head, just constantly thinking about how many drinks I was going to have. I remember a 40th I went to where I was, I I did myself a a survival plan. I think I Googled how not to get drunk. (laughs) And it was like, eat before, have one drink every hour, alternate Mm. with water. And I stuck to it. I, I mean, I had a really boring night, not probably because it was a boring night, but because I was spent the whole time going, mm. when can I have the next one? Yeah, like managing the process, essentially. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Not living in that um, moment and enjoying. No, not enjoying it at all. Yeah. But yeah, about when, when the drink was coming and was I okay? And look, I'm not drunk. Look, I'm not drunk. Yeah, yeah. Um, not enjoyable at all. Um yeah, it's it's quite interesting actually because you you talk um, of challenges with um, eating as well, and mm. I have I have listened to some podcasts where there is that that strong link between eating disorders and alcohol mm. disorders, or yeah, however you want to frame it. Um, mm. And I myself had problem as well. I I was bulimic when I was in my teens and in mm. my early twenties. And, um, yeah, so I kind of went from, you know, managing that and, you know, obviously over drinking. So there's always been something, you know, that's been right really up until I stopped drinking. Have you ever had any thoughts about why you were like that? Like what were you kind of managing internally or escaping from? Mm. I think it's all to do with, slightly to do with control, I feel. Mm. it's like having something to control I I know that I had a very controlled childhood um and um and I went to a very strict boarding girls boarding school which was very Mm. controlled everything was very restricted and a lot of us a lot of us had eating problems but Mm. you know it was always this obsessiveness with not and and trying to be good trying to be good and trying Mm. you know not to eat too much and not eat too much Mm. and then the blitz and this I find that similar pattern with the drinking yeah you know I mustn't drink too much I mustn't drink yeah. too much but enjoying yeah but enjoying yeah enjoy the binge of alcohol yes I don't care yes attitude yeah um you know and and that's you know that feels like something it feels like something deeply ingrained in my personality that really kind of want you know want for abandon and I have to out that and other ways sometimes it's like really exercising really vigorously or sometimes mm. it's doing things that make me uncomfortable like the cold swimming that does mm. it for me because I'm like I really don't want to do this but it gets my adrenaline off and it feels you know it feels like you're doing something rebellious but yeah that feeling of wanting to rebel I yeah. think comes from being very tightly controlled and rebelling against it and I think um you know, a lot of my other school friends were the same that had that, that binge mentality as yeah. a result. And it's still in me. Just, yeah. I don't, you know, food ceased to be something that I could, that, that is an outlet for me because I've worked through that and, um, and now I've taken alcohol out of the equation. So it's, it's, it's just having to simmer under the surface. Instead. Yeah. But, but also you could say that you have got awareness of that as well mm. now. Mm. I mean, it is, it is kind of um, understandable when you talk about having quite a kind of, con- you know, heavily controlled childhood or upbringing. You can totally understand why you would then want that 
need to control things around you I mean yes similar for me I wasn't raised in a in a really controlling environment but I was raised in quite a chaotic environment where I felt like I had no voice and my mum and dad were always fighting and my mum was always drinking heavily you know drinking too much and I just felt like um I, I I couldn't control what was going on around me so it's sort of a similar thing mm. I think that I kind yeah. of yeah really um feel like I really connect with there um yeah, yeah. it's fascinating isn't it it's, it's fascinating yeah. they always say don't they that uh, you know the way we are and the, the the habits that we form and the beliefs that we form they're all in our childhood <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I, I think it is and I think the feelings of overwhelm I think every time I felt very overwhelmed or very overstressed that's when I used to eat and that became when I used to drink. And I think that's from not having ever worked through or talked about or known how to deal with your emotions when you were younger. Yeah. And it's, I mean, a lot of people say that about sobriety. It's, it's not the giving up drinking. It's learning to sitting, to sit with the feelings. And, you know, it's a lot of that, isn't it? Actually, we've, we we didn't know any better because we didn't know how to, to, to help ourselves with our own emotions. They were just our coping mechanisms. Food was a coping mechanism. Alcohol is a coping mechanism. I was just writing that down, actually. You're absolutely right. Yeah, coping Mm. mechanism. Um, And I think um, when you aren't taught, for whatever Mm. reason, you know, you Mm. aren't taught how to cope with challenges as a Mm. kid or or you're not allowed to feel your feelings which I think which Mm -hmm. I think is a big one and actually to be honest it's something that I've suddenly become hyper aware of as a parent Um, I catch myself going just stop crying and Mm. I think oh Terry like yeah it's really hard to it is it is I've got awareness around it but it doesn't mean it stops me doing it and I keep thinking you've got to validate their feelings you can't shut them down because that's what created the problem is in you you know or part of the problem is in you it's and you've also got to model that behavior for them because obviously we didn't see perhaps our parents talk yeah. about their emotions or yeah. work things through and it's important that you do it I say, you know I say to my children I'm a bit sad or I'm a bit angry or yeah. whatever it's okay for me to voice that and yes. it's okay for people to have negative emotions we're not all perfect all the time and we're not all putting on a brave face but yeah I totally feel you there's times where you know one of you know my daughter's falling apart because she didn't get a, a part in a play and there's you know inside there's only so long the patience is going but you know for her that's her world falling apart and you just say I know it's you don't have to go and buy them sweets to make up for it and and Mm. fill the hole you just need to say I I I know darling that must be really tough yeah it's really tough and it's okay to feel like that and I'm here and do you want a hug yeah Um, yeah yeah, a hug goes a long way, doesn't it? A hug you know, goes I, a long way. I've Luckily, my that. children still want to hug me. So yeah, yeah, I learned that. Whenever my children are being annoying, or uh, that you know they're crying or they're playing up, I just I I've yeah. learned now just to go look. Do you just want to hug? <laughs> and nine, just... nine times out of ten, they always. I, in fact, ten times out of ten, they always yeah. do. And I just yeah. I find that so much more helpful than trying to totally. back them away or sometimes the anger is a call for even the anger well from both yeah. sides sometimes I'm angry but I want a hug yeah. I'm angry because I'm overwhelmed and I've got too much to do but actually what I want someone to do is hug me and say it's okay I'll help yeah <laughs> yeah and it's the same for the kids so um so talking about um that when you went was it a party sorry that you went to and then you you blacked out or you uh, last then, yeah last yeah. summer yeah yes was that the so was that the the morning that you woke up and thought right this is it 
I'm going to be sober. What happened then? <laughs> no, I I didn't. I just think in the long term, when I started thinking about, I, I think I'd been dabbling with sobriety for a while. Um, I started trying out doing sobriety at all um, in 2017 because I did Sober October. And that was just like, can I, can I do it? Can I go sober for a month? Yeah. And the only way I thought I could manage it was by doing it for charity because then I wouldn't be able to, you know, give in. I'd have to do it. People were giving me money for cancer research. I absolutely had to stick at it and I did stick at it. But I think it gave me a taster of what it was like. And I continued to do a month off every year following that and say, so, you know, I always do sober October and then some years I moved it to September. But I always did the month off. And as the years went on, I... I kind of always regretted drinking again and wondered why did I drink again? Mm. What, why did I think it was better? Why did I think I was going to fix it this time? Why did I think? Because the same things would happen. And okay. I think um, I was resetting myself, but actually and giving my liver a break, but actually I was just the same habits were coming back again. Um, so I think because I always did that sober month I had started to question why don't I keep on going one time so I knew that the sober September was coming up like I do every year everyone by this is the fifth year I did it so everyone knew that I gave up the month so it was I didn't have to do as much of the explaining because the month was coming but over that summer after that party I started to think maybe when I do September I need to keep going but I didn't tell anybody and I didn't I didn't voice it. I just started journaling about it. And what I kind of did was started to write about my relationship with alcohol while I was still drinking, Mm. which actually I think really helped me because I started to realize how much I was drinking and why I was drinking and the effect it was having on my mood. Um, And Continue to do that throughout the summer, kind of knowing I was building up. And, you know, it might have had a slight effect as how much. I mean, I remember drinking every single day in August. I don't know how much of that was, you know, this, this might be the last time. And mm-hmm. I really just want to feel sick of it. Or, you know, or it was just actually I was that reliant on it. But um, I, I, I wrote a lot about how I was feeling and how I would feel if I gave up. And I didn't tell anybody. And then I did this over September. And mentally, I was kind of ready for it because I'd been writing about it. And yeah. therefore, it was kind of confirmed in my head for a long time. But I think I couldn't tell anyone that I thought it might go on longer because I didn't know if I could do it. And I didn't want the pressure. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how I went about it was just, you know, that party was a catalyst. Other things were a catalyst, you know, but it was just using that time to think I, I'm not going to give up now because it's summer I know I'm going to give up in September but it was really useful to drink and journal <laughs> yeah, and I, can, I look back at that now so every time yeah. I'm tempted I look back and I read how awful I felt drinking wow. a gin and tonic and half a bottle of wine you know even that little was was making me feel horrific or how it would give me the shakes and I then I feel in a bad mood and I think oh well I have a beer at lunchtime then and all of that cycle, or when I'd been out with for girlfriends and we drank a bottle and a half of rosé, and I wrote, how did it improve my evening? Did I have a better chat with those girls? No. Do I feel like absolute rubbish today and really low and miserable? Yes. Did I need the wine at all to have a good time with my friends? No, I didn't. And it was all of these things, like mm-hmm. questioning myself, did I need the alcohol that time? Or 
so it, I found that really useful. Um, and then I kind of did September and then kept going and people kept saying, well, aren't you, aren't you going to drink? I was like, I'm still enjoying it. I'm still feeling good. And it kind of went from there really. And then you didn't drink again? No. That's amazing. So I just uh, did the same for September and kept on going. But I kind of knew I was going to keep on going, but I just, it, it yeah. was, it was, I had to do it quietly. And what I did for the first bit was I didn't even, so New Year's Eve, which I thought would be a, a nightmare. No one really knew that I still wasn't drinking then. I actually took alcohol-free wine. It's terribly sneaky. But I just popped into the kitchen and swapped my glass. And Brilliant. I said, oh, I'm going to drink this wine. I really like this red wine. And I drank alcohol free and I carried on dancing like normal. And I actually just went alcohol free. And I found that easier. <laughs> yeah. Then, now yes. I'll be fine about it. But at that point, yeah. it was easier for me just to do what it, it took yeah. for me to, to stay sober. And that, that's what I did. Wow, Sarah, you sound like you've got incredible awareness, really. And that's mm. such, yeah, it's been such a credit to you and your journey. I love the idea of journaling through your Sober September. I, I think that's such a fantastic thing to do. And to be able to reflect and look back mm. on that, um, just anytime you have a wobble, you've always got that kind of documentation yeah. there to refer to it's and I repeat it in amazing. my journals today sometimes I look back and I put I've put I hate alcohol why you know why am I drinking it makes me feel rubbish it makes me feel low yeah. but I, could, I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't see the any other way you know yeah. I thought I had to drink I yes. just thought it was the amount that I couldn't control and that there was some perfect way of drinking that I yeah. was missing and there wasn't it was just don't yeah along with all those not other drinking. perfect people that are drinking perfectly yeah. in moderation out there which is not true <laughs> yeah exactly it's not true is it but no yeah but also asking those questions of yourself as well again it's just so insightful and you just must be like that as as a person you know and just knowing that you you know the way for you to cope in that big social situation new year is to do it in that way and that's amazing yeah. like that's yeah I mean it's and because I wanted it to I don't I didn't want it to be all about me being sober I didn't want the conversation to be yeah. all about it and I didn't want all the focus on it I just wanted I it was about me I just wanted to go and enjoy the night yeah and maybe a little bit of me was also like I wanted my friends to enjoy the night and yeah. sometimes, and that would be something, you know, which when, when you give up, it, is, it was something that was difficult for me is, is accepting that your friends might not perceive you in the same way or that, mm -hmm. that worry, even though it's not real, you yeah. have that, that concern and them, you being as you were, but uh, secretly sober is better for me than them knowing that you're sober and thinking, mm -hmm. oh, well, that's going to be a great year's eve then, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You're not drinking. That's going to be rubbish. Yeah. And it wasn't rubbish because I carried on like normal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you, I think. Did, did you have a better time, do you think? Yeah, I remembered it all. Yeah. I got to midnight and remembered it all and then I got in the car and drove home. I mean, fantastic. I didn't, I didn't um, end up lying spread eagled on the lawn in front of the babysitter <laughs> like I had done in the past or had to quickly make my way to the loo to throw up. So none of those things happened. Yeah. And I remembered to pay her. Yeah. Always the shame when you're like, did I, sorry, I don't actually remember if I've paid you or not. So um, lots of pluses. Um, and I went for a cold swim the next morning with my friend in the sea on New Year's Day. 
which I never would have done. I would be on the sofa trying to beg as much childcare for my husband as possible. <laughs> this sounds like dreams to me, to be honest. Getting up and having a cold swim in the sea on New Year's Day. Oh, that's just amazing. Was, I, that's I took an alcohol-free beer and yeah. we took and some smoked salmon blini and we sat on the beach and, and had that oh, with, with the girlfriend. Oh, so nice. Love it. Sounds just the nice. no hangovers is enough for me. Yeah. I mean, that was... The hangovers as you get older and you get into kind of perimenopausal stages. Yeah. I mean, you do... I mean, I have read about it. You do, you don't produce the enzyme that breaks down the alcohol as well. So you don't metabolize it as easily and it does take longer for the body to recover. And I could feel that. Mm-hmm. I could feel how awful it made me feel. And, you know, the, even small amounts would make me feel dreadful um, and affect my mood um, and my irritability. The irritability was bad. Yes. Yeah, so- um, and it's just so nice not to have that. And to actually feel real valid feelings. Like if you're grumpy or irritable, it's because you're irritable about something. Yeah. And that's okay too. It's yeah. not just I'm a grumpy, <laughs> hungover person. It's not a daily um, thing because you're hungover. No. Yeah. It, it's actually, if it, yeah, I was, I'm exactly valid. the same. If I'm feeling mm. a bit irritable, it, I know it's just because I'm tired or there's something slightly off balance in my life I need to work on take a bit more time out for myself taken too much on yeah yes too many things you haven't slept enough whatever it is but it's not it's not coming from nowhere this like you know irrational anger yeah um and it's also not the norm as well so it's not like you know it's not a it's not I wouldn't say that that state is a frequent thing for me now you know, I'm no. I'm not irritable that much. So no. when I am, I know. Ah, okay. There's something amiss. Something There's something amiss. Not quite right. But yeah, feel it. But not having hangers, and that's something I think I cannot get complacent about now. I'm over a year in because the first few months for me were just joy. Every Saturday, I feel like I still can't believe I'm waking up and I feel amazing. I still can't believe on oh, Chris on oh, Christmas. Oh God, Christmas. The first sober Christmas, because always on Christmas Day, I'd be hungover from Christmas Eve. Yeah, same. And then you'd be, oh, here's the champagne again with like a shaky hand at 11 o'clock in the morning. I'm back, are you? And, and you didn't want to. Your whole body was bloated and going, I don't want any more alcohol mm. after all the Christmas parties. But you had to, didn't you? Because yeah. Because we, we drink. Yeah. So, you know, we've got to carry on and just feeling awful. And it was just absolute joy just to wake up on Christmas Day, excited for my kids. Okay, being woke up at six. Yeah. Yeah, let's open the presents. Let's yeah. build the Lego. I'm up yeah. for it. Yes. Um, as opposed to, okay, in a minute, in a minute, let's just get the coffee. Let me just yeah. get the coffee and then I'll do it. But um, yeah, the, the not having a hangover is just, it, I, my life is so much more open. I used to think I won't be able to put that much in the weekend because I'll be hungover then. So mm-hmm. I won't be able to go out on Friday and Saturday. You know, obviously I'm careful not to over commit myself, but the things I can go to and say yes to, Mm. are far wider reaching because I'm not having to grapple them with a hangover yeah yeah you don't, you I don't like, have to say no to anything yeah Debbie do you feel like you just achieved so much more now yes. in your weekends compared yes. to when you were drinking yeah it's it's a, it's a time vacuum isn't it drinking mm. yeah it completely sucks up all your time and there are so many other lovely things and fun things. I feel like I've tried out so many new things because I'll get a bit bored and I'll think, right, well, what should I do about it? I'm not bored. I'm just going to sit here drinking, which actually makes you feel more bored. 
Um, but actually, you know, try new things and do new things. I've always got a book on the go now. I've always loved reading, but I've always got one on the go now, always reading a novel. And I'm always wanting to try new things. The cold swimming's new for me. You know, I try paddle boarding. I took myself on a retreat on my own. That was my treat for doing a year so. But you've got to treat yourself. Mm. And, you know, you think how much you spend on alcohol. You've, yeah. got, you've got to treat yourself in other ways. I took myself out for brunch the other morning for no reason after spin, and it was absolutely wonderful. But you have to treat yourself, and you have to enjoy things and experience new things to keep yeah. your mind busy because actually that's what, that was what the problem was in the first place. I was mm. quite bored and unchallenged. Um, yeah. Hence the alcohol makes you feel like you're having a great time. Yeah. When yeah. you really are still just sitting at home. Um, so, yes. Yeah. So what, what other things did you do in that kind of first 100 days or so? Um, obviously, you had your journal and you yeah. sound like you were really riding that wave of reaping the rewards. And I, I felt quite similar to that. For, for me, mm. most of my early sobriety was really, really positive. There, yeah. there were challenging days here or there, of course, but um, and situations. Um, but the majority for me just felt great. And it sounds quite similar for you. What other things did you do? to sort of strengthen your position in sobriety? I think um, I'm very lucky right now that there's such a good, a, you know, good movement towards sobriety. And I just lapped up all the books and all the podcasts. And I think that's been something really supportive for me. Podcasts for me are like an AA meeting. If You know, if I feel like I need a pep up or sometimes I think don't get complacent, I'll pop a podcast on and I'll put my AirPods in and go for a walk and I will listen to it. And the walking and the listening to the podcast just completely reinforces consistently in my mind why I'm doing the right thing. Mm. Um, and I read a couple of good books as well. I read The Catherine Gray and Unexpected Joy of Being Sober and The Blackout by Sarah Ebola, which I also really resonated with. So I think they felt like my support network. And again, like finding people on Instagram that are inspiring, that are talking about sobriety. And then you feel like you're not alone, that there are other people doing it. So that was one of my tools, that the journaling and the podcasts and books. And then the world of non-alcoholic drinks as well, I think. Um, I just bought everything and I didn't I replace the rituals I didn't try to change my life too much I always on a Friday normally as early as I could get away with it about four o'clock would you know think oh I can have a drink it's Friday I can start drinking now and I would have a drink at four even if my husband was still working from home and on a call you know I, I would have a drink so I didn't stop that I was like but what am I going to have for my drink this week and I would buy something new and I would still sit and it's amazing how much relaxation you can get from just sitting Mm. and you know finding your lovely spot put a bowl of crisps out um grab your phone pour yourself the drink in a nice glass with ice and just sit and enjoy it yeah don't do it on the go but do it as you would have done with an alcoholic drink and it's still relaxing so I tried to replace those rituals even having a bath I'd have a non-alcoholic gin and tonic in the bath with a book and just keeping those up so that you still feel kind of treated you don't feel like you're missing out um so that really helped me. Um, I bought, you know, a lot of non-alcoholic fizz, non-alcoholic beer, the spirits, any anything really. Um, yeah. 
just to kind of keep me going. So I think that really helped. Um, you know, exercise is something I've always done to keep me mentally strong, but that's something that I, you know, would continue to do. Um, but yeah, those are the main things I think that would, that would, you know, the new things that I introduced was the non-alcoholic drinks and the podcasts and the books um, yeah. and the journaling. The, the podcasts are, I mean, it, what an amazing tool, podcasts. So good, yeah. They're just, and I agree completely with you. It, it is mm. like an hour of therapy or yeah, like you is. say, it just resets mm. you, doesn't it? If you're having does, a wobble yeah. um, or it just reinforces what you already know and love about sobriety, but maybe you might have just, like you say, got complacent yeah. or forgot a little yeah. bit. But you also sound like you're... Uh, quite good at uh, challenging yourself as well so mm. sort of getting some of those new dopamine highs in mm. cold water swimming and the paddle boarding and the things like that and I I do think it's brilliant to sort of push yourself out your comfort zone and do different things things that you might not have done before I do think that you know yeah. is, is, a, is a wonderful thing to do in sobriety as well to get those yeah things. and that's something I want to carry on doing because it's it's you know, it's fun trying to do new things. I tried surfing. That was my latest one. I tried that in Cornwall. Um, I thought I'm going to be far too old for this. I'm never going to get up on the board. Well, I did get up on the board. I was thrilled to get up on the board. I was screaming at my 19-year-old instructor to quickly look before I fell down. <laughs> Could I move my arms day? not move my arms for three days. The Dom's was unreal. Um, I have a new respect for surfers, but um, yeah, just trying something new like that. That's something I would, I'm going to do again. Yeah. Um, but there are so many things that you can try out and do. So I just think it's not, I think people sometimes think, oh, it's so boring being sober, but actually being sober gives you the time to start thinking about what it is that you really like to be doing instead. Yeah. And, and the motivation to actually bloody get out there and do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which, exactly. which you don't do. Because you have so much more of a positive mindset as yeah. well. I mean, yeah. just in terms of, you know, just your general mood and mental health, a hundred percent I felt better. I mean, I would really feel quite low and depressed on days. You know, it really can take you down our comment. And and I've read so much more about it now and I understand how it, you know, it it affects your dopamine levels on a day-to-day -day mm. basis. I had no idea that was happening and that our natural levels of dopamine are, that they're not at natural levels when you're drinking. And mm. so it's, it's been a real revelation. I feel much more childlike, if that's the right way of saying it. But you know, when you were a child, you just, you were always happy. You, you just found I still joy. Need the caffeine. And things. I fully yeah. admit, I still need the coffee. Yeah. But yeah. other than that, I, that, you know, the natural feeling of excitement about life has come back yeah and I didn't have that when I was drinking no. I thought the excitement came from the alcohol I couldn't envisage how it would come otherwise to yeah. be honest it's funny <laughs> you say that about the dopamine as well that mm. um, the other thing that I think um that happens when we drink is that it's such it's instant gratification so it's mm. obviously it's mm. not it's an artificial boost to the dopamine or yeah. artificial high but it's also a quick artificial high and actually yeah. in real life it you 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 can't mimic the dopamine yeah. spike as quickly but what they what they often say in books and things when you read about this is that it might take a little bit of time to get to that dopamine hit that you feel after your first mm. two or three glasses of wine but then it's much more stable 
that dopamine yes, and it stays for longer and it feels real and it feels just more brilliant whereas yeah. with the drinking it's just like bang you get up to that high level and then mm. like quite quickly you start withdrawing from that drink and then it's like i need another but you need another but, one but actually one more doesn't get the same hit which is why you need two more and then you get to and yeah. then before you know it you're, you're, you're drunk and you're blacking out it's a um, constant roller coaster isn't it of, yeah. of mood swings it's highs and lows and i think being on an even keel, some people might perceive as boring, but it's really not. It's much better to be just on a level yeah. and not feeling those massive highs and those massive lows. But you can get amazing natural highs. I've had amazing nights out sober. Yes. Yeah. I really have. And, and I've loved it because I've remembered it. I've remembered it. And I've actually felt the music when I'm dancing. I'm like, I get, normally I can't hear it. You know, I'm just, I mean, I'm in a blackout. So it's, it's like actually hearing the music and actually enjoying it for what it is, yeah. is, is, is a natural high. And I, you get, you know, you can have a really amazing time off the buzz of other people and it's, it's people's attitude and energy. It's not anything really to do with the alcohol. No. And I think when you, uh, pluck up the courage to have that first sober dancing mm, moment mm, mm. that feeling of realizing that you're actually enjoying yourself um, yeah. and that you're getting really into it and then you, you yeah. know, you're not afraid you're not worrying that everybody's really recording no. you because <laughs> no yeah. one's looking at you no one's interested <laughs> but you think they are you think they're all staring at you but that feeling is just so it's it's wonderful I I I, I love sober dancing now I love it mm, but well, I yeah I always felt like I needed alcohol to to get into that zone and yeah, and really, I don't think, like you said, I don't wasn't really in the zone at all. I was just sort of stumbling about on the dance floor. Yeah, and, and probably, and, and what had happened was that I wouldn't have the confidence to dance until I'd lost the coordination with the yeah. alcohol. <laughs> it would just be not proper dancing. So I don't have inhibitions. And it is, you know, the first time you have to do anything, the first time you have to give a presentation at work, you get the nerves and then you get yeah. used to it. So I think the first time you do anything, it, you feel... And I knew that. I knew, like, the first time I went dancing, I am going to feel like a bit of a tit for the first five minutes. Yeah. Just ride it out. Mm. You know? And it's like when you, when you sometimes have to do a workout class that makes you a bit nervous and the moves are quite difficult, you feel nervous, but you can't drink alcohol then. You've got to work through it. And yeah. it was the same thing. You've just got to stand there feeling like a wally. And then after a while, the inhibition goes. And now I, d- I just don't. I'll be first up. I don't care. Because no one's watching. No one cares yeah I don't even mind so what are people going to say she's no good at dancing so what you know it's not about that I don't know why we all care so much yeah about what people think and what people think when we're dancing and why we feel so self-conscious about it yeah it's it's mad it's true it's true so you talked you talked about um some of the um you had some of some down days and things uh Mm. what would you say was the hardest part of getting sober for you um I think with I kind of felt like when you alcohol it, I really likened it a little bit to like break it was like breaking up a, in a relationship um like a boyfriend from my 20s where you know I had a really good time with that with that boy and he was really good looking but he was bad news and it didn't work and we were always fighting and so even though I knew I was doing the right thing, I sometimes had those like pangs, like, oh my goodness, I'd have like romantic fantasizing feelings about alcohol as I kind of realized I wasn't going to do it again. 
Yeah. And it was kind of like a grieving. Mm. I'd go, oh, I'm not going to go on holiday and have a rosé in France. Mm. Or, oh my God, I won't be able to have a gin and tonic. Or I won't, what happens when I go at Christmas? I won't be able to have the pudding wine. That was my favourite bit. I won't be able to have the pudding wine. So even though I'd feel okay, I'd suddenly have those moments of panic. Um, and that felt a bit like a grieving process, which I'm now, I think, over. But I think that was the hardest part was, and try, and I imagine that's why people say take it one day at a time because the thought of it as a whole is overwhelming. Yeah. And I think you can't look too far ahead. And, um, you know, I've learned lots of tricks in my head now about what that first drink really means. And every, every time I fantasize about this delicious glass of red wine in front of the fire, I see, I see it for what it really is. I, I yeah. play it forward to the scenario it's not yeah. just a delicious glass of red wine it is me then falling asleep on the sofa it's me then feeling fuzzy headed the next day it's me feeling shaky the next day and wanting another drink it's looking at the reality of what that drink is and to stop putting it on a pedestal because that's what we do like in the breakup you try and remember like the good times mm. um but there was a reason why you broke up and so I think for me that was really hard um and I think as well just just the accept, learning to accept that your friends are just going to have to accept you as you are mm. and that they might have to mourn the old you a bit. Yeah. And that's going to have to be their problem and not yours. And if they're your friends, they'll still be there because some of them won't. Some of them will grill you and some of them just won't quite understand and say, but what, you're not that bad. And, mm. oh, but I do that. And, and I, I just have to be, well, that, that's fine for you. But for me, it was enough. And you don't yeah. want to be rude to them, but it wasn't working for you. So it's, it's, it's tricky. What, you're going to come to this and not drink? And, mm. and, they, and so I think, I think there was a lot more going on in my head than happened in reality. What I yeah. thought they were going to say, what I thought they were feeling. I think actually a lot of people have been like, oh, well done you. And have said, oh, you're really fun when you're out sober. Um, <laughs> but there have been times where, you know, people have, Drinking sometimes gave me that kind of complicit feeling with girlfriends when you were like, come on, let's settle in for a good old, you know, let, let's, let's do it. Let's get drunk and let's just let it all out. And there are some points in the evenings where I can see my girlfriends doing that and I can't be part of that anymore. And I have to accept that that's okay for me because the reality is what would I have been adding to that back in the day? Not very much. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, like sometimes I'm not going to be you know, the person that wants to stand at the end of the night with my arms around, stumbling around, thinking I'm still having a good time because I can see that's not fun. Yeah. It isn't fun. I would have thought it was fun at the time. I'm not judging anybody because I did it, but mm. I, it's not for me anymore and I, and I move away. So I think, yeah, I think in your head, I think other people are, are a hurdle and it could be a, a reason why a lot of people stop drinking. Even with my husband, I was, you know, we, we spent a lot of time... We, you know, drinking wine on our honeymoon, we went to France, you know, wh what would it be like with us if we can't sit and have a drink? And the answer is, it's exactly the same, except for I have a non-alcoholic one. Yeah. We still sit down and say, should we have a drink together? And this is what I mean about keeping the rituals. I say, you know, oh, it's Sunday, should we sit down and have a drink? Mm. And we sit down and he'll go, what do you want, darling? Do you want, and he still called it a gin and tonic, but he makes me a, a non-alcoholic one. Yeah. Oh. And we still sit down and we talk and we sit and have a drink and a bag of mm. crisps and you know sometimes he'll drink sometimes he won't but it's you're still having 
that time. That and, time. you know, sometimes I'll make myself stay after lunch. You know, if on Sunday lunch, we might have let the children down after pudding and carried on finishing the wine. But I, I will sit with him and have a non-alcoholic and still chat because in those moments, you, that's when you have kind of your togetherness and your, mm. your talking time. So I try and keep those as they would have been. Yeah. He says it's a lot better because I'm a lot less narky with him. So yeah. that's good. <laughs> yeah. I think there'll be a lot of people that um, really like hearing that, actually, because I do think that one of the things that people have concerns over um, when they stop drinking is if they have had not it doesn't have to be a boozy connection with Mm. their partner but certainly Mm. they had rituals and you know they they, did drink together and it and I think some some couples that is their time their connection time Mm. and people have asked me you know, did that happen to me? And did does my husband drink? And how did I navigate that? And I, I don't have any real first-hand experience of that really because my husband isn't is not really that much of a drinker um, right, and yeah. so it you know it's sometimes I have to be honest and say do you know what I, I don't have actually an ex- mm. that experience um and I'll try to offer my advice anyway what I might yeah. do but I think there's a lot of people listening to this that will find a lot of comfort in hearing yeah. what you've just said because it doesn't matter what's in the glass yeah that's right it's the time and the talking yeah yeah it's the spending the time and it's what I mean about keeping the ritual sometimes I mean alcohol yes used to relax you you know even though in an unreal way but so does actually just sitting down yeah you know a sugary drink as well does magic for me yeah um a bit of sugar peps you up and just and just taking that time out and sitting and thinking no I'm not going to do the dishes now I'm just going to sit and chat um is is really important to keep all of those rituals and and I think that's why the non-alcoholic market has really come into their own because I think I've managed to feign that with girlfriends as well yeah and you know and now that you know they come in and they go oh should we go for a drink on the beach I've got um I've got Prosecco and non-alcoholic Prosecco for you and they've thought about me and we'll go together and it's and then we're all like oh should we have it and we've still got that little thing where we go we should have our drinks yeah and it's it's almost as if it's the same but I'm just carrying on without the alcohol um and then I drive them home after yeah win win all the better for it you know I am useful at the end of the day now um but yeah it's keeping those rituals um is important yeah absolutely and I think just going back to something you said um you were talking about um having to kind of just let go break up with that toxic Mm. boyfriend if you like Mm. um and I think that you know that is a really big part of it as well and I I do think that it is okay to feel those Mm. feelings Mm. I think in the beginning Mm. in the beginning I would have definitely and when I say the beginning I I don't know exactly the time frame was it six months was it up to a year I'm not I'm not sure Mm. but I think if I could have drunk alcohol without consequences I would have still gone back even though Mm. I was working very hard on my sobriety and trying to get myself to the place where I was in like pink cloud zone or whatever that meant Mm. at the time Mm. Um, but basically what I've realized is that you know when you get truly emotionally sober you don't feel like that anymore Mm. I would Mm. not have a bottle of red wine now um, Mm. without consequences 
if I could get away with it. I just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't want the wine in my body. I wouldn't no. want that drowsy, weird feeling that I seem to love no. for all no. those years. I no. wouldn't want to be out of control. I wouldn't want to be able no. to be able to drive or to have a proper conversation with my husband or to feed my child at tea time. I wouldn't yeah. want to feel, I just wouldn't want any of it. But in the beginning, I, I would have traded anything yeah. to have been able to drink yeah. without consequences. And it's just mm. it's interesting, isn't it? When you flip over, which you do do, if you do mm. that work around listening to podcasts, reading the books and having that community around you, you will get to the point where you are emotionally sober and you kind of, mm. you're free from it. You remove the desire for it. Um, I just think that was yeah a really really interesting point that you raised there and it's people that are listening to this might be a week in to their sobriety and it's and it's knowing um the like trigger moments as well because I think in those early days what you realize is that there are there are triggers and you kind of find I think everybody that I've listened to has found that there's a particular you know time of the week for me, it was Fridays yeah. after work that are a trigger time. And I found that very hard because my husband would come in and go, and, and I asked him to stop. I didn't ask him to stop drinking. I asked him to stop talking about it. But he'd come in and go, <laughs> going to make him sound a bit insensitive, but he'd come in and go, oh, this, is, this has got a good nose on it, this wine, as yeah. he opened it. And I'm there going. Um, yeah. So I, I just <laughs> said, look, I, I, just, I look like I'm doing great and coping not voicing how I'm feeling but could you just like not talk about the wine you just drink it quietly and not tell me how how delicious it is um but I had to be I learned quickly where my trigger time was and I had like I had to be prepared for those days like everything was easy on me on those days what you know I was always make sure I'd have something nice and early to eat that had something I wanted to eat that I'd have a really nice non-alcoholic drink alternative that I had planned either to go out or to the cinema or I'm going to read my book in a bath but something pampering Mm. because I knew I would it's almost like this is a little bit of a hole that you don't know how to fill for a while yeah you were like this is this is the moment where it's the end of the week it's the reward where's my reward where's my treat and for a while you have to get used to the fact that alcohol is not going to be you know what's going to fill that hole you have to fill it yourself with other things and now on a Friday it doesn't even doesn't even occur to me it, it never occurs to me even when we go to parties now my husband sometimes says you know do you feel like having a drink I'm like god no mm. god no I mean I was quite excited when I went to a party the other night and they had diet coke because I was I was a bit tired so I was like yes I'm excited about the diet coke but I'm definitely not excited about the alcohol at all yeah and you couldn't pay me to have a drink um yeah. So you just have to work through those moments and get your body used to physically and emotionally detaching from it. Yeah. And it's funny there, you mentioned about the Friday feeling. Um, And I remember in early sobriety, because I had basically gone through my career with, you know, it's Friday, it's Friday, Mm -hmm. you know, drinks on Friday, blah, 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 blah. But when you are sober, Friday just pales into insignificance. It's just another day in your week in the beginning. Because it's just like... Yeah, it's just kind of like the same day. There's just no major significance to it. Um, apart from, obviously, you know, it's possibly still the end of your working week and maybe you have the weekend with with your children or your family. But I think when you are sort of struggling a bit in the beginning or trying to get through that Friday night feeling, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just you, you don't. Ha- it, Friday doesn't have the same weight and power yeah. as it did when you when you drank. It it's yeah. just a kind of bit of a almost boring night, really. And it like, was. It yeah. is. It's like any other night, and that's yeah. why. But what you realised was that all all Friday really was was the night where you stop let it you stop putting restrictions on yourself. Yeah, you just get drinking. Your face. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Oh, I don't have to. It's okay now. It's okay. It's yeah. I can get wrecked about it anymore. Yeah. Um, so that was really the only difference. But I mean, I do frequently still remember how many how many riding lessons I had to go to hungover, how many other parties I had to go to on the Saturday hungover. I mean, it is just the Saturday morning is still lovely. Yeah. Yeah. The Saturday and Sunday mornings oh. are very special, aren't they? When you do. Yeah. So what's been your biggest gain? I know there's probably loads, but what would you say has been like the biggest gain for you in sobriety? Um, I think, you know, we've talked a lot about positive mood. I think just for mental health in general, I do think there's been a massive gain for me. Um, Just in terms of managing anxiety, I think my symptoms... Um, you know I'm 45 I think my symptoms of perimenopause are starting to show so actually anything that exacerbates anxiety even in small measures is just is just a no-go for me right now um so I found that my my anxiety and my uh levels of lowness and all of those things are just so much more improved um and also just my but also my positivity, my energy has improved. I think all of all of that, I just have so much more of a, a zest for life, I would say, since having given up. It's given me um, a new lease of life, I think. Um, I think that has been the main thing. So I think that in turn is, is what has propelled me into to trying lots of new, new things and wanting to stretch myself, is that I'm just feeling more up for it. I'm just in a positive and more energetic mood. Yeah. But I just don't think we can underestimate how much of a depressant alcohol is and, mm. and and how much we fool ourselves that it's relieving stress mm. that it's relaxing us when it ja- it's actually releasing cortisol and making us feel more stressed mm. um so I think those are the main things I mean obviously there are lots of other lovely physical side effects like being just not being bloated all the time and <laughs> And not having the hangovers, but I think the mental resilience and positivity have to be up there really with one of the biggest gains yeah. for me. Just I just feel like I'm experiencing so much more because I'm sober. I mean, I feel like when I go to parties, I'm listening to people. Mm. You know, I don't think I listened before. I don't think I went to a party thinking, oh, I wonder if there's anyone interesting that can tell me something interesting about themselves. I just went there to, to drink. and that was I'd find other people that wanted to drink and we'd all drink and then I wouldn't remember the rest but to actually go to parties and meet new I meet new people now and and chat to people and I enjoy dancing and I think I what I've learned about myself is that you know it I don't need the alcohol I never did need the alcohol (laughs) Mm. to have fun yeah um you don't actually need it uh you think you did and you think you need it to relax and you don't they're just beliefs aren't they they are and they're habits I mean if if it's been something we've been doing I mean I think it was my late teens I started you know drinking you know binge drinking so it's been we it's out to be we didn't know anything else Mm. 
we it's never it's never occurred to me to do anything else and I really hope for our children I mean my daughter's saying to me now you know mommy I don't think I'm she's 11 I don't think I'm going to drink alcohol and she asked me honestly what does alcohol do and I give her an honest answer I don't say oh it's poison and and try and put her off it I just say what it you know I, I say what it does which is that you know it's um it can make you feel a bit funny and it makes you feel it makes you feel relaxed but it also can make you fall over because you're not in control of your body I, mm. I just try and be you know matter of fact about it um but I think there are other generations are different I mean my um husband's stepsister they're they're, they're a lot younger and they're so much more esteemous with their alcohol um so I, I hopefully think things are changing yeah yeah no I'm the same I, I've started having um the odd the odd conversation here and there I've got mm. um my two older girls are seven and nine and so mm. they're still you know they're still quite young but they are aware that mummy doesn't drink alcohol or wine mm. and when I celebrate my soberversary every year yeah. I, I buy myself Colin the caterpillar cake yeah. and you know we celebrate and then they say why why are you having this again and I say well mummy's very proud that she doesn't mm. drink at wine so this is my treat and da, da, da. yeah and so we have those conversations and they say when I grow up I'm not going to drink like mummy and I'm you know which is funny yeah. and I think oh if, if only but obviously you can't if only. yeah yeah <laughs> I mean so <laughs> they'll do they'll do what they want to do but do I mean I think it can't be any worse than be any worse worse than growing up with parents that did drink a lot in front of me yeah. <laughs> no and I you know and I'm not doing that and I don't yeah. want them yeah. seeing me drinking and I don't want them seeing me drunk and if you've yeah. grown up around that it's nice not to have that yeah well you're modeling your aren't you you're modeling um that behavior and I I just feel like even that on its own is showing them a different way to be and yeah but I do think that you know for me personally I I will continue those conversations and I will talk about the reasons why it's easy to drink and why people fall into Mm, drinking and especially peer pressure and all of that but I will talk about the dark sides of drinking with them and I will say uh, when it's you know the right time um yeah. I will say that you know drinking might make you end up in situations that you don't want to be in and then you're not mm-hmm. fully aware you know maybe sexual situations and all of yeah. that sort of stuff consent yeah. and these sorts of things so yeah. um yeah and it's it'll be difficult navigating it because obviously because we don't drink they might feel that they don't want to tell us if they do they might feel judged and Obviously, what we don't, we've got to be open about it because we don't want them think, you know, then hiding it because they want, they don't want our disapproval. Yeah. Because they might think, well, mummy didn't drink. She won't want me to drink. Actually, it's, it, we've got to be, you know, of course you can drink and yes. make them feel that because we don't want anything secret going on either. Yeah. It's quite um, interesting because I always thought that my opinion on my children drinking was that, I would like them to have a safe environment to try drinking. So whether that was, you know, 14 or 15 or 16, it's okay for them to experiment. But as long as they do it under my roof, blah, blah, blah. I thought that I was quite firm in that mindset. But I listened to a podcast the other day that was explaining how um, that if a child at 14 drinks alcohol, it's just too early in their brain development. And actually that can then lead on 
um, or is so many times more likely to lead on to them having alcohol dependency issues when they're older um, and having a very bad relationship with alcohol. And then actually, if you can try and uh, get your child not to, to drink until they're in their later teens, at the very least, they're much less susceptible to alcohol use disorder when they're older. And I sort of changed my mind a bit on my approach there because I thought, well, actually... I think there were some studies where the par- if the parents had said, you must not drink, you're not allowed to drink, like, and they were quite mm. firm, those children didn't go on to develop issues with alcohol, whereas the, the more liberal parents that let their children have wine at home, there were mm. more, those children ended up having um, right. issues with alcohol later on. So it kind of really changed my view yeah. on it. And I thought, well, yeah. actually, yeah, maybe I will be that kind of annoying slightly restrictive parent in the you know you can't do you know you will be able to do it at some point in your life but you mustn't do it now and and there are severe consequences to you if you do do it now yeah um, just to try and get them to push them even just a couple of years into the future yeah 16 17 is better with a bit more age they have a bit more maturity where they don't feel like they're doing well they will still a little bit but not doing so much you know peer ped peer-led doing things for other people yeah you know if they drink they'll think and think that's enough yeah and they're 18 they're, they're in a much better place to say no I don't want any more than if they're 14 yeah absolutely yeah so I kind of changed yeah I, that's that's probably the way that I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. try and go now that coupled with lots of information information that was never available to me yeah. as a child information that wasn't available to me until three years ago <laughs> three and a half years ago until I made myself read stuff um, yes. and learn about it because otherwise you know it you 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 just you drink and you, you you're unaware of the consequences and you don't care really no. and you're unaware of the addictive quality yeah you know absolutely. It's they don't understand addiction so it's 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 yeah it's a minefield and it's something I will definitely be more uh versed on I think as we get yeah. closer to that becoming a reality my children drinking yeah i know (laughs) scary thoughts anyway let's uh let's quickly switch the subject (laughs) so we're coming towards the end um what are your top three tips on getting sober or staying sober and i'm actually going to throw a bit of a curveball in here for you Mm -hmm. now um and i'm going to say if you can maybe you can make one of them or even give us a bonus one how would you Mm. Um, give somebody a tip to get through their first sober Christmas because this is something mm. that is definitely raising anxiety in people that are going sober or are newly sober. They are terrified of the Christmas mm. period. So, what are your tips to get sober and stay sober? And have you got one tip that you would uh, give to get through your first Christmas? Christmas. Yeah. Um, so, my three main tips um, two of them I've kind of talked through but it was definite uh, the so the sober network I think is really important to surround yourself with that that you know read the books listen to the podcasts, find the ones you like and you know and keep and keep it up um the second one was making sure you've got the non-alcoholic drinks to you know to, to to replace every single ritual and part of your life so that it can go on as much seemingly as much as it as it did before but just without the alcohol I think that's just a keeping all the same habits but just without the alcohol um and 
One of the really important ones, I think, that um, people don't think about and probably do a lot when they're drinking is to, if you're not having fun, I think that's a really important thing about staying sober. So when you're, you realise when you give up alcohol, how many things you've been to that you're not enjoying and you drink your way through it to try and make it bearable. And what I've learned is that not to force myself to stay at something I'm not enjoying because that's when you could just think this is so awful I'm just going to have a drink in a minute if you're not having fun if the conversation you're having with somebody you're not enjoying or it's got a bit unpleasant or whatever it is I just make an excuse and move away and if I'm at a party that I'm a bit tired now but my friends are still going come on come on let's keep going but actually I've had enough I've personally had enough I I know now I've reached my capacity I've had my fun I just slip out. Mm. I don't force myself to do anything I don't want to do. And I think that's the really big, I think people always feel like they're indebted to other people and that, you know, for the sake of other people, they must stay. They must still be seen to be having fun. They must still be drinking alcohol. They must stay to the bitter end. And sometimes I do stay out to the bitter end still, but only if I'm having fun. Yes. And I think that's a really important thing that you come first. It has to be about you. If you're not having fun at this party, at this event, at this lunch, then go Mm. and take that back. And that's something I would play into Christmas because I think Christmas is tough for so many because it's long periods of sitting around with a lot of alcohol. Sometimes it's awkward and tense because it's family dynamics and, you know, Lego that can't be built quick enough or breaks or whatever or didn't get the right present. There's a lot of emotions because it's such a big event Mm. everyone's very tired because we all get up at the crack of dawn to open presents there's a lot going on but it's thinking about what your self-preservation is what's what are you going to do for you so for me at Christmas I made sure that you know obviously number one I had you know the really nice non-alcoholic drinks but I thought it through for every occasion I bought myself the most expensive non-alcoholic champagne and I bought myself you know a red for lunch and I bought myself something for everything but I also had like a kind of toolkit. So I had like, here's the novel that I'm really, really, really into. Here's a podcast I've downloaded. Here's a calm app with some meditation on it. Here's some music that I find relaxing. Here's my journal. And every time I felt uncomfortable or thought, oh, this isn't working for me, I knew I would retreat. Now everyone has a bed when, wherever they're staying at Christmas. And I would just make that my refuge, a bit like I did in lockdown because it was the only place where no one could find me. But you just yourself off and recenter yourself, whether that's through a podcast or just distracting yourself with a novel or journaling. It's just taking time to work on yourself and recharge because it's very draining. It's long periods of socializing. And without alcohol, that does get tiring and draining because the alcohol makes you think that you're still having fun and it, it's still good. Mm. The other really, really good thing to remember is that you are so much better at the Christmas games when you're sober. <laughs> and you win everything. <laughs> so instead of thinking, oh no, get, you know, it's what I did when the conversations get a bit drink off, a bit drunk after lunch. I'm like, let's get the games out. <laughs> and I got really into them and really competitive and won everything because people couldn't think of playing articulate. People were going, um, um, I just tried <laughs> to think of the word. And I was on it because I was so quick. So actually, that gave me a lot of pleasure. Um, 
So I would say those things. And, you know, make sure you've got a, good, a big box of quality streets. Oh, absolutely. Uh, chocolate ticks your box. I mean, don't yes. let yourself have the sugar because it's Christmas. And, yeah. and, you know, you've got to let the size down somewhere. But, yeah, I, I kind of had a little toolkit of started to feel wobbly or like I can't do this. Uh, I'd have somewhere to retreat to and, and I'd have resources that would help kind of recharge me. Uh, I that is absolutely wonderful advice I love the concept of a Christmas toolkit it sounds so obvious but of course it we talk about this sobriety toolkit and it's the same thing isn't it it's having mm. a bunch of resources that's mm. ready to go in those moments on your bed of need yeah I think that's even the nice good. even the really posh expensive chocolates that you you know the kind that you hide from your kids or i do that yeah. anyway if i get yeah. anything more expensive than lint it, it gets hit hotel chocolate they don't get to eat no that way <laughs> any anything posher than that my husband doesn't get to eat and i'll hide it away and that would that would go under my pillow as my toolkit yeah herbal tea i would sneak up with a herbal tea and yeah. and have a little chocolate yeah um and use my toolkit I was talking to somebody, uh, who was it, Jade, I think, that I've posted mm. her podcast actually uh, this week. She was talking about her first, I think she had her first Christmas four years into her sobriety, and she was talking about Fortnum and Mason sparkling tea, which I'd never heard Ooh, of. And I thought, that well, sounds very lovely. Yeah, yes. that's probably something that would be quite nice to have. So I'm going to have to explore that. You'll have to have a look at that one as well. Definitely. Yeah. Anything yeah. like that that just makes it feel special like a treat yeah yes, absolutely it's a treat oh there's so much so much that we've covered um and yeah we've gone on longer as well it's just been a fabulous conversation sarah and it's going to really 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 help people um so if you're open to sharing your journey how can people find you um so on instagram i'm at kaylin cake underscore sarah so just spell that for me at um so kale k-a-l-e yeah. and cake all one word i'm sure you know how to spell cake yeah underscore sarah which is s-a-r-a-h yeah. and actually for those of you that love really lovely food inspo uh sarah's got loads love of my food fab. yeah fab fab pictures of food and lots of yeah lots of loveliness on there so go and check her out thank you so much i hope thank you, you very much have loved it as much as i have i did thank you <laughs> and, uh, yeah and we'll we'll catch up soon and yeah thanks everybody for listening thank you for having me absolute pleasure thank you so much for listening to this podcast if you're interested in being a guest please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at Sassy Sober Mum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.